Hi, I'm Keith McCullough. Welcome to another edition of Real Conversations, where it's my pleasure to have James Grant, who is, of course, the editor of Grant's Interest Rate Observer, for a discussion on anything he would like to talk about. So, Jim, thanks for, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Well, you're entirely welcome, Keith. I do have a few convictions, which, if you ask nicely, I will share. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Uh, a friend said something, I think, very helpful and, uh, and clear-sighted the other day to me. He said that in China, all the opportunities are obvious and the risks are hidden, whereas in India, the risks uh, are obvious. You know, poverty, uh, terrible infrastructure, uh, walking down the streets, you're accosted by beggars and likely to step into potholes even bigger than those in Manhattan. This election of Mr. Modi, uh, some weeks back, the dramatic, uh, triumphant election of this man who ran on a campaign of modernity and enterprise. This is, to me, an exciting thing and uh, perhaps a transforming thing, to use that overused word. But uh, here's one-seventh of the world's population that uh, voted um, in record numbers, uh, as one might interpret it, voted for markets, voted for enterprise, for the freedom to act in markets. And it is a very new and exciting thing in the world. As I see the situation now. This is, uh, has, the, has the promise of a five to ten year um, investment uh, opportunity. Uh, you know, the market's run up a lot and now might not be the ideal entry point. Uh, but for any who are looking beyond that, uh, who are looking for a truly multi-year opportunity, I think that India is, uh, deserves a very close look. It's very infrequent you get someone like Dr. Raj combined with, uh, with Mr. Modi to be doing the same thing in the market voting yes for both. Quite often people in this country will say if rates go up, you know, oh God, the world will end. I think there is a, there's a, there's a, at least a respectable case to be made that in India the source of inflation is not so much on the monetary side as on the, the simple infrastructure side of things, uh, the opportunities to you know, provide decent infrastructure, roads, uh, power and the like. Uh, that's in the public side and the private side, uh, for example. A tiny fraction of all Indians uh, have uh, have property insurance. I'm reminded of the opportunity that Hank Greenberg saw in in China many decades ago. India could uh, be the next. I think is the, is the at least at least has the shot of becoming the world's next really big growth story. If you create perpetual asset price inflation, and we go totally primitive here and say food and shelter are two main concerns for people, and we inflate you know rents, for example. Uh, as a function of real estate to all-time highs in this country, and we take food prices higher and higher and higher. Uh, isn't that the reason why we'll never get any real inflation-adjusted economic growth? It should qualify that. Never as in under the current policy regime. In that case, I'd have to agree. I think that, uh, that the, uh, the, administra- the Obama administration has done everything, and it's seemingly done everything in its power to thwart enterprise, and they, you know, they, they really can't. Americans seem irrepressible in the enterprise department. Um, but um, I, don't, I, don't, I think it would be a bad bet to bet against um, a dynamic American economy over the long run. Over the short run, it seems a very good bet. Last year you had this dynamic uh, situation where rates and the U.S. dollar were going up uh, at the same time. And you ended up seeing commodity uh, deflation, if you want to call that, or commodity prices going down. And in the face of that, you actually saw some real economic growth. We saw that in 1983 to 89. We saw that in parts of, of the mid to late 90s. Is that the answer? If you were to have a policy regime change, would you agree with that type of a setup? Let the dollar rise. Let interest rates you know, trade freely, whether they be higher or lower. 
Well, I'm all, all in favor of, um, of uh, free-range interest rates, you know, the organic um, uh, green kind of interest rate. Free-range organic. I like that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, localism, uh, local for kind of stuff in industry. <laughs> Anybody with the help running a publication with the name interest rate in the banner um, is in favor of uh, interest rates that you can actually see without a microscope. So sign me up for that one. I mean, the, the trouble with um, interest rates uh, uh pitched to begin with at zero is that zero percent funding costs are uh, the invitation to a lot of activity that will not be sustainable even over the medium run. A lot of the leveraged activity on Wall Street is, is premised on, I guess, on continuing very, very low rates. We can't know that rates will remain low. What we do observe is that uh, very low rates invite the aggressive bidding up of assets if one operates on that kind of the dividend discount model. You know, the value of an equity is, is future cash flows discounted by a suitable rate of interest. And if that rate of interest used is unsuitable, then necessarily the future cash flows uh, will be inflated. We live to a degree in a federally f- constructed investment funhouse where the, the things you see are not necessarily the things that are. <laughs> we get in this argument all the time with things like, you know, because what you're effectively saying is at the zero bound, Wall Street creates products to fit kind of a perpetual assumption that rates will be there forever. So we call them uh, yield chasing asset classes. So you have things like MLPs that don't actually have future cash flows that you could depend on. But who cares now? Because you can get paid now. You get paid a dividend yield. Do you think that you need to see things of that nature, REITs, yeah, MLPs, even utilities at this point, which we're redefining, anything that's born out of the 0% interest rate policy, do you think you need to see that actually fail for the policy to fail? I, I, I think the policy will demonstrably fail because uh, hyper-aggressive leverage finance um, always seems to you know, step in front of a bus, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think the setup for that is now in front of us. We see uh, very low levels of volatility. We see uh, evidence of terrific embedded uh, complacency. We see the symptoms of the return to the financial techniques of the 2005, six, and seven era. People tend to manage risk on a linear basis or an anchoring basis going back to the prior crisis. And since they can't see that crisis replicating itself, they can't see the, the next crisis, which is, of course, you know, typically different. So why can't it just be the economic cycle this time? It, it could be. I mean, I, I, I think that, uh, uh, that macroeconomic forecasting to me is, is one of the uh, less fruitful ways to spend one's time. I'm not sure that that is the, the way to approach the problem. It seems to me that the way to look at it is to consider the panoply of risks and, con- and then Having, con- having pondered that and having identified some, then to look for mispricing, to look for very cheap options on unlikely but not certain outcomes. Gold is an example to me of, of, of an opportunity. Um, again, getting back to the idea that successful investing is having people agree with you, not now but later. Gold exhibits so many of the characteristics of a corpse, um, although it does occasionally toss and turn. Uh, gold stocks uh, certainly look as if they were dead, and, but nobody even bothers to poke them with a stick. But, but gold and gold mining shares are, are very, very cheap and certainly very widely detested options on the failure of this massive worldwide experiment or demonstration of the hopelessness of the technique of price control. So I, I think that is one example of how you approach the future. We can't know the future. We can observe how the future is being handicapped 
and we can also observe um, how you might be paid if the consensus turns out to be mistaken. Well, it's, it's interesting, gold in and of itself. You saw how quickly people came back to it. Gold started the year, of course, at, I believe, $1,202, and then just had this, you know, I guess, unexpected rise by the, uh, by the consensus minds of Wall Street to 1380 Then everyone buys it at 1380 and then they get frustrated with it again like they were for the last two years. So you end up with this frustrating, I guess, situation that feels maybe like a corpse. But it's still, you know, gold's up 5% year-to-date. The Russell's flat to down. Uh, a lot of growth, as you know, a lot of bubbly-type subsectors of the S&P 500 uh, look like they're going to hell in a handbasket. So is, is gold signaling that we are, you know, I like to look at real-time market indicators. Bond yields falling and gold starting to base and recover, to me, does tell me that there is some economic stagflation pending. Do you agree with that? I don't draw exactly that conclusion. I've, I, again, I, I, that's not the way we approach things. But uh, to me, gold is a very, very long-term opportunity, priced as it is, unloved as it is, a long-term opportunity to invest in, in the failure of one monetary system and perhaps to get in on the ground floor of another. I'm not sure if the world is ready for um, a new gold regime, but I think the world is, is at least increasingly ready to consider is the true failure of the improvisational system we have with much of um, former tenured faculty members making things up as they go along. <laughs> You're being kind, Jim. You're being kind, right? So what's next? We don't know what's next. We do know what is really, really out of favor. There's a fair chance, at least as I see it, that what is now out of favor will come, rapidly, will, will come back into favor. See, this is what I like when a very thoughtful gentleman agrees with me, but for different reasons. Now i got more reasons, Jim. The ECB, the BOJ, and the Fed, of course, every single day are trying to come up with a new, new uh, innovation. Do you think one of those three are setting themselves up to fail more epically than one of the others? I guess I would, I would vote for um, the Bank of Japan. The Bank of Japan is, is always a, a front-runner in policy failure. They're always the front-runner. They're the California Chrome of central planning. I would say so, yes. That's my, so my vote goes to the Japanese. Now, they're printing 60, 70 trillion yens, and uh, by our count, by the fall, they'll be realizing that they got inflation. They didn't get real inflation-adjusted growth, and that they're going to have to give us more cowbell. Uh, well, do you think 150 trillion will do it? Yes, I think 150 trillion is the number. I don't know. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> right. I really don't know. I, I think I, I know that uh, it's not going to work. Uh, but uh, I don't. I, uh, anyway, the, the silence you hear is something I hope you can edit out. Well, I mean, at the end of it, it, it does become quite silent, does it not? When you get no response at all, there's nothing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Fed does engage in QE6 if, in fact, we all have nothing to say, Jim. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I genuinely appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. I would like to. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, thanks. He's Jim Grant from Grant's Interest Rate Observer. I'm Keith McCauley. You can see my Twitter handle right there on the screen. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to this edition of HedgeEye's Real Conversations. If you enjoyed this interview, we encourage you to subscribe to HedgeEye Podcasts for automatic downloads of future interviews with top market and economic thought leaders. You can also visit HedgeEye.com for additional content. There you can learn more about our financial research firm's comprehensive market research products and complimentary videos and analysis.
The proceeding has been presented for informational purposes only, and none of the information contained herein constitutes a solicitation, offer, opinion, or recommendation by Hedgei or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guest speakers to buy or sell any security or to provide legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice regarding the profitability or suitability of any security or investment. Opinions and analysis are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can and may go up or down based on any number of factors. Consult your financial professional before investing.